The following program was made possible by Ward's Lawyers. Find us at wardlegal.ca. Hey, how are you? Thanks for finding us on your computer and or phone machine. And speaking of machines with a special sound... On today's show, we bring you the story of a very special motorcycle, specifically the 650cc Yamaha motorbike that I gave up about 20 years ago, and by sheer serendipity, caught up with my former beloved bike. But this isn't my story, really. It's the story of the Dunsford area man who spent years rebuilding it, and how that major motorcycle project actually helped him ride through some of life's dips, curves, and bumps. We'll also take you to the official unveiling of a unique downtown Lindsay mural we told you about when it was still just a nugget of an idea. Waiting for the right artist, or artists actually. And part two of my conversation with new to Cameron, but familiar to all of Canada and beyond, musical artist Julian Taylor. Okay, helmet on, visor down, boots tied, and you're wearing protective pants, right? Time to release the clutch and kicker into gear. My name is Denny Grignot, and this is the Advocate Podcast Stories from Kawartha Lakes. Way back in the summer, we spoke with Melissa Weems of Ward's Lawyers about a really cool call for artists. They were looking for someone to transform the asphalt alleyway into a work of art. A mural of sorts, but not on the walls. This art is at your feet. Well, if you've walked past that part of Ken Street, you can't help but notice it. It is eye-catching. Not long ago, it was officially unveiled, and the Advocate podcast was there. Hi, I'm Julia Drew. Um, I'm one of the artists that worked on the mural right beside Wards. Um, it's been a great experience. My name is Christina Dedis, and I am also one of the artists who worked on the mural. What was your reaction when they approached you and said, we want you to do a mural on the ground? What, as, as artists, not emerging, but established artists, what was your immediate thought when they approached you on this? Honestly, very excited, but then realizing it's on the ground, trying to figure out the new challenges that come with that. And what um, were the challenges? Like figuring out kinds of paint, you know, what do you do for painting on asphalt on the ground? Traditionally, murals have been done on the walls, obviously, so it's just uh, figuring out a plan going forward, but really excited overall. I don't think we really understood the, the scope of work that was required. My brain is not great with like sizing things so when I kept remembering like oh it's like over 100 feet when I saw it I'm like there's no way there's that's 100 feet and we just as we were going it was like okay this is really large this is taking a long time so a lot of like I guess planning ahead of time depending on the weather to put in the effort and time that was required to get things done in time. Take me to that moment when you were both here at one end along this long corridor and you were looking down at what was just a blank canvas, if I can, I can use that term I hope, yeah. when you were looking at that blank canvas, what was going through your mind at that moment when you were standing right here at that time? Uh, I think we just realized, I mean, speaking on behalf of both of us, being like, this is a big project. Like, this is, I've never done anything personally this big, and I don't think Christina has either, but uh, it was just like, okay, we're really doing this. 
There are some advantages to doing it on the ground, isn't there, Julia? Oh, definitely, yeah. I think it, it made it easier in terms of supplies. Like, we didn't need to get scaffolding. Like, we could be on the ground with a paintbrush or with a paint roller, which is a bit more familiar. Um, yeah, which definitely made it a bit easier sometimes. really just excited to see the kind of arts and culture um, really starting to take a big influence into the downtown. I'm Evan Jaglow from the Lindsay Downtown BIA and I am the marketing and events coordinator but soon to be the executive director. Um, we ran an event this summer for arts and culture and it was very well kind of received across the entire community. We had artists across pretty much um, across the Quartha Lakes who came in so it's great to see something like that really continue to grow in the downtown, not just from the BIA standpoint, but the businesses itself really starting to go into that um, appreciation of arts and culture. It really kind of puts a little bit of uh, personification to it as opposed to just giving some people a spot to kind of sit. It gives people um, uh, kind of an insight into the culture in the downtown. So just walking by it people will see this alleyway and give have a reason to to walk down this alleyway not just because they're trying to go somewhere to actually kind of sightsee and see really everything that kind of the downtown brings what do you see beyond just the colors and and, and the words what do you see that's a tough question i see the more so the hard work that our downtown really does to showcase itself really shows um, the care that the businesses itself in the downtown have for the, the environment. Glad to have everybody here to see the official unveiling of our new mural that was so amazingly completed by Christina and Julia here. We're so happy to have been able to bring this project to Lindsay and hope that it'll inspire others to infuse some artistic talent in the downtown. Okay, just a sec. Ready? Okay. Three, two, one. That's it. All right. Woohoo! right, congratulations. As a representative from Wards and you were very much instrumental in commissioning this, what's it like for you now to look out there and see that that alleyway which is more than just an alleyway now oh it is so amazing it's just wonderful to walk by it and look out the windows and see such a colorful display much more cheerier than it was before so and we have christina and julia to thank for that we just wanted to create something that would again draw people downtown and just make it pleasant it's it's a dreary alleyway and you know now it's something you want to walk down want to take a walk down it and look at the art and just feel good about it. There's still some things I think in my artist brain that are like, I need to touch that up. Um, I do want to fix up the way I wrote reflections. And also I was reading a book actually on like a small anthology of like Lindsay's history. And I think that adding the date that it was founded would be something that I'm wanting to add in the spring when we have to come back for touch-ups anyway. The people behind that mural are also the official and exclusive sponsor of our program. They are the reason I don't have to flog mattresses in a box or health supplements. 
Ward's lawyers can meet all your legal needs, as they did when I needed a contract negotiated. To find out what Carissa Ward and her team can do for you, very simple. Just go to their website, wardlegal.ca. You can reach us by going to our Facebook page in the FB search bar. Just type Advocate Podcast Stories from Kawartha Lakes. Subscribe to the page and you will get regular updates on all of our episodes. Stream us for free on your favorite platform. We are part, of course, of the Advocate magazine. In the most recent issue, the magazine asks, how prepared are you when disaster strikes? Well, the Advocate's Jeff Coleman speaks with people who believe in being ready, whether it's an extended power outage, a flood, or a windstorm. Pick up your copy at Lamentia's Country Market in Lindsay or the Kinmount Shop and Save, among many other locations in Kawartha Lakes. It's raining, I'm staring outside my window. There's a tiredness in my bones. I feel helpless and alone. That is music from Julian Taylor, a song called Stolen Lands from his most recent album, The Reservoir. You'll remember my conversation with Julian a few months back, the morning following his performance at the Peterborough Folk Festival. We sat outside his second home, when he's not in Toronto, overlooking Cameron Lake. Julian is a compelling, thoughtful, smart singer-songwriter who draws a lot on his West Indian and Indigenous Mohawk roots. Here is part two of that conversation with Julian Taylor. I knew an old man who'd sit in his armchair. Sometimes at night I'd catch him crying sitting there. I'd like to say that I'm from two Indigenous cultures. And so when people ask me about my indigeneity, I say I'm from two of them, you know. Um, oral tradition's a really big part of that, and the lessons and the stories that I've heard from family members and, and community people around me uh, throughout my life are things that I carry with me. It's one of the reasons why I use nature in such a, a big way in most of my music. That's why the, the you know, metaphor for seeds was developed, and there's songs on all of my records that reference nature a lot. It's, it's pretty prevalent. But balancing that as, a, as an individual and as an artist, as an individual I find it difficult to balance anything, to be honest with you. My sleep patterns, you know, like my exercise patterns, my eating patterns, um, all of that's hard to balance, I find, especially when I'm on the road and, tr and traveling. I'm, I, I do my best in, uh, to try to uh, focus on both of them. I know that a lot of people, you know, it's funny because I don't want to be one of those people that is on the wrong side of history. I didn't grow up on a reservation. I have family that, that did and, and still does. Mm -hmm. I was, uh, you know, privileged to live in one of the, the biggest cities in the world. Also, when you think about those two things, it's like most people go, okay, well, then he's not this, he's not enough of this, and he's not enough of that. I, I grew up in my whole life, and my mom and, and everybody in my immediate family and, and some, you know, some other families, like, wasn't red enough to be red, wasn't black enough to be black. 
there's no point in saying those kind of things because I think what really that does it it creates a, a divisiveness that separates people. It's like it's it's as soon as you put things into into a lot of boxes, you start to divide and conquer people. I'd like to to be one of the people that's on planet Earth that says, okay, it's okay to be this person. It's okay to be Julian Taylor. And Julian Taylor has a lot of important things to say. Julian Taylor makes mistakes. Julian Taylor uh, is kind and sometimes is unkind. And that's the balance that I find uh, is very tricky in life. Because I'm not, I'm not really here to make everybody happy. I'm here to try to make myself happy and the people around me comfortable because of that happiness. And sometimes I have a hard time balancing even that. Hey, you've spent much of your career, which you proudly uh, attach a DIY, a do-it-yourself label to, managing a lot of the business stuff, uh, even starting your own label. Mm -hmm. How do you balance that with being creative and being on stage in the studio? Because let's be honest here, if we're laying cards out on the table, a lot of artists, that isn't really their forte, doing the business part. And you managed it, obviously, and and, and you clearly excelled at it, but, but it's... It's a lot to take on. So how do you do? How did you manage to do all of that and still be Julian Taylor, the artist? Uh, necessity. I wanted to do this, and it was my dream, and so I was prepared to do whatever it took, and whatever it takes to make it happen. And so when uh, my first band, Stagger Crossing, was let go of our uh, major label record deal, I learned exactly what it was that it would take to get us back to where we needed to be. We never really got back to the uh, same level of notoriety and um, fame or even productivity and or, you know, uh, monetary success. And still, I, I, I don't know uh, if I could accept it any other way, but it was a really great lesson in, in terms of learning how to take care of myself and look, look, take care of things because uh, I had to. I mean, I guess I could have just stopped then and then done something else, but it was too important to me. I took on a role of, of making sure that th this project, I guess what you would call it, this, this dream, this, this message, this, these songs, these ideas, would get to as many people as possible because I thought, wow, I, th I really have a feeling that this is important. It was important to me, it still is, and that's why I do it. But you did walk away for about four years. And I had to. Yeah, okay. Well, maybe explain that and what brought you back to it. Well, I was depressed. It was, it's really hard. I still get depressed. This is a hard gig. You know, like one day people like you, one day they don't. Um, one day you got work and one day you don't. It's not like I, sh I can, you know, go into work at 9 in the morning and come back at 5 a.m. It's also really difficult to be away from family. Um, and spend Thanksgiving in a hotel room by yourself. Those things are hard. And I don't know if people really know that. No, and I, th I think the, the general public doesn't have an appreciation of what it's like to be an artist when you're, uh, you're, you're working when a lot of them aren't. Mm -hmm. and, and, and the rest of the day, you've got a lot of time to live in your head. Oh, for sure. And, and then there's that danger of going to that dark place or that positive place. For sure. you got to coach yourself, really. Um, and it's a constant struggle. But for me... I was disenchanted with the music business. I was never disenchanted with music. It's always been something that I absolutely adore. But uh, trying to climb out of the bucket like a crab was really starting to hurt, you know? So I'd stopped and 
uh, ended up working at, at some bars and restaurants and doing the hospitality thing. I learned very quickly that I think that everybody who's a post-grad should probably not be able to join the workforce, except they should, before they can do that, have, you know, six to one to a year mandatory hospitality to, t to teach them what it's like to be at the, you know, call of people, to teach them about that sort of service. What got me back into it was just, you know, you get an itch. And I saw people come into the bar that I was working at and, was, and play music, and it was great. And sometimes I'd pop in and, and do a song with them, and that sort of happened. Interestingly enough, I think it was Tom Barlow, actually, who sent me a text message one day, and he was supposed to do a cover gig in Barrie or something like that. I said, I can't make it. Can you do this gig? I'm like, you know what? I'm going to call Jer, and, I'm, and Ben Spivak was living... Uh, with me, uh, we were roommates at the time. Ben plays bass in Los Angeles in a, in a group called Magic. And um, at the time, we were all doing nothing. And we're like, well, do you guys want to drive to Barry and just ha like see if we can pull it off? And we did. And it was a lot of fun, and then we we decided to keep doing it. And, but we played everything from, you know, Motown covers to old country classics to new hits and ended up playing weddings and events and all sorts of crazy things for a while there until I was like, I, I think I might try to write a song again. The country and the city, rural and urban, these poles have competed for Julian's affection and identity throughout his life. That's, that's a line on your bio. So I gotta ask you, how is Cameron faring in that competition right now between urban and rural, where, where we're sitting right now on a, on a day like today? Oh, I love it, don't you? I mean, we're, oh, yeah. we're staring out at uh, Sturgeon Lake and sitting on my balcony and there's trees and breeze and birds and all sorts of things that I, 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 when I was growing up and, and would visit my grandparents, that's all we did. We were around nature the whole time, right? Um, so this is home for you now? Yeah, I love it. It always was. And I always have this affinity to the city too, because I love the greasy, greasy grime of the city and, and that, you know, aesthetic as well. One day I have this dream, I hope that everybody's the color of the earth and they'll stop complaining. And the earth is so many different colors. I mean, the sand is what I'm talking about. Sometimes when you pick up sand on the beach, depending on where you are in the world, it's lighter than it is in other parts of the world. And everybody picks it up and runs it through their fingers and feels the same way. Well, there's the T-shirt you and I can uh, can get printed. It's a lot of words. <laughs> but I'm going to bring you back for a moment to, uh, to the song... Um about the frogs again. Oh, sure, the ridge. Only because this was an interesting anecdote that, uh, that happened. As I was leaving the concert, I'm walking through that huge, lovely park to get mm -hmm. to the parking lot. And uh, there was this, this child, this, this young boy, in a tree on a limb, hanging, hanging on on a limb. And his mother was trying to talk him down and I think not succeeding. And the kid just had this massive smile. And I immediately correlated that with you catching frogs. What would you have seen if, if, if you were with us walking and you saw that kid in the tree? Well, that song, The Ridge, is really about innocence. It's about childhood innocence. And uh, it's funny because I, I often say when I, when I close my eyes and I dream about my happy place, I see exactly where that place is in Maple Ridge. And when you talk to me about that child, it doesn't have to be a specific place. It's, 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 the place is actually in your heart. And so that and kind of fondness is, is absolutely beautiful. From his 2020 album and the song that had me thinking of that boy I saw in a park climbing that tree, this is Julian Taylor with The Ridge. It was mornings like these when the breeze 
A song called The Ridge from the album of the same name. That is international recording artist Julian Taylor, now a neighbor in Cameron, Ontario, where you may find him when he's not on tour. Julian is performing in Toronto in the coming weeks before he heads out on a European tour. Get details on all his future shows and how to purchase his music at juliantaylor.com. Okay, this is the story of a special motorcycle. Special for me, but mostly special to the man to whom I sold it more than 20 years ago. The man who rebuilt it. I had a heavy heart when he loaded it into his truck a few years after I'd finally come to grips with the fact that it was time to bid adieu to my once beloved 650 Yamaha Seika. Because of parenthood, but mostly because it had devolved into disrepair. I would never, ever see it again, I figured. Well, that's what I thought. You see, a few months back, out of pure coincidence, I discovered we had a mutual friend. I discovered this when that friend, Denise, sent me a picture of my Seika, all shiny and looking, well, better than new. Okay, it wasn't my Seika, of course. It was, it had been Jim Gowdy's Seika since that day he took it home from my driveway. I wasn't even sure I wanted to reacquaint myself with the Seika, but after some texting back and forth, Jim invited me to his home near Dunsford. And this is Jim's story, really, about how my former bike, now his bike, and the lengthy task of rebuilding it, it became part of his life that brought him much more than just an open air ride on two wheels. In fact, when he brought me to this special bike to, to reintroduce me to it, it, it wasn't even parked in his driveway or his garage. It was, and it still is, in a separate room in his basement. I'll show you where I, where I parked your bike. 20 years later and you're still calling it my bike. Okay, I guess I should... <laughs> oh. There it is. Oh my goodness. Okay, this is not exactly the way I remember it because it actually looks clean and ready to go. Okay, so yeah. tell me what you had to do to it. Because I, I remember one, one distinct thing was I remember a dent in the gas tank. In the gas tank on, I believe it was it this side. It was on that side. side. That was the only yeah. damage I'd ever really done to it other than letting it sit and, and rot. Well, when I got it, I brought this one home and I thought, hmm. This is going to be a challenge. So what so, drew you to it in the first place, Jim? Because I know I remember putting it in the in I think in, Lynn, in the newspaper for sale for two hundred bucks. Yes. So uh, it's it's a it was a special bike to me. Yeah. It meant a lot to me. But it's not a BMW. It's not a Triumph. It's it's a Yamaha. So what was it that compelled you to go? I think I want to take this on. It's a bike that, from my younger years, I love this bike. You know, I I there, it was a time in my life when I, I could use something to dig my teeth into. You know, life, I think I think my uh, my oldest boy, he decided that, you know, he was, his, his mom was in Guelph. And he thought, ah, he's going to move to Guelph. So we were, uh, it was my daughter and I that were, um, she, she actually enjoyed, uh, you know, being at home. It just changed the dynamic. So it was my daughter and I. And uh, so I, I just wanted something to, occupy my time like come home from work and and something to i could dig my teeth into well i felt it deserved to be rebuilt 
Like Why? it was because it just I don't know, it spoke to me. Like it just it deserved to be rebuilt. It's a beautiful bike. And it really is, isn't it? Like it's just a I don't know. I, I, I just I fell in love with it when I saw it and I thought it might have been a little much, but I, I I remember saying to you, you know, I'll get this thing I will get it back together and working. And I just took it home and, and I found it, you know, did it was own? it was really cathartic to come home from work. You have a bad day, and but at work you're thinking, you know, I'm gonna do this much on that. I, like I I started taking parts from it. I actually built a shed so I could park this in it, and yeah. then, then I'd <laughs> take parts off of it, and I'd actually take them to my basement. And I had a table, and I'd just sit there and work away at them and understand how. You know, like the, how everything was working on it. The more I just worked away at it, I'd have a list for the following Saturday. Go back to Cycle Salvage, go back to the basement, sit there, find the parts I needed. Actually, when I first started riding this... So you this, did actually ride it then? I, I rode it with uh, the dent, the faded paint, the... You remember the front fender, like the red was almost gone off. Yep. It was... <laughs> I bought a roll of black duct tape. And I taped the entire seat with black duct tape because I just wanted to get it on the road, mechanically sound. And then I went, okay, it, now I can go cosmetic. So How important uh, was it for you to actually drive it? Because I get the sense that the, 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 the riding in, in the whole scheme of rebuilding it and looking at it and, and developing this relationship with it versus actually riding it. Tell me about that relationship. How important was each one of those things? The, it was really interesting. Like I learned so much about it and I just find myself thinking about it at work and going, okay, I want to get home. I want to do, I want to get this part done. And I never got upset if it, because there was no timeline and I knew how I, I felt working on it and I enjoyed it. So there's no timeline. There's no, it wasn't like work. There's I was no just, pressure. there was no pressure and I was happy with the progress as I was moving along. And when I first started it, I just, like you couldn't grin off my face. Like I was just so happy when I first started it and it ran nice and sound. You know, just find a spot to go. I'd go to Port Perry, go have a coffee and come home or just go for a drive around Lake Scugog. Like anywhere, go for a drive to Bob Cajun. And it was just, it, it, it was just like, um, you know, you take a dog out for a walk. It felt the same thing. Like the, the, it was happy to get out. I know it's an inanimate object, but it's it was happy to get out, and it always it, it's never let me down. You become one with them when you're driving them. Like I would bring it into the living room in the winter time. Everybody thought it was kind of strange, but I didn't. I didn't like the bike outside. Why is that? Well, didn't need to be cold and. It can right. come in the house. So I'd, I'd drain the fuel out of it and bring it in the house. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. No, living alone, you can do that. <laughs> in those times when your life is going up and down and you're rebuilding it, and most people will get frustrated, mm -hmm. what did it represent to you to have this bike in your life, given, you know, what life was giving you? Well, it just re represented, like, to me, it was, um, it was a constant that was there. And, you know, when everything's always changing... This was a constant thing. And, and, and once I thought about it, I was, it was every day I was thinking about another part of it. Like it really was something that I... It was therapy. It was therapy. 
that's what exactly what it was. And my father, he was he was wheelchair bound. He's he's passed passed away, but um, he would he lived with me, and he would come out, and he would sit in his wheelchair and he would watch me like on nice days because this was a lot of times I just bring it out of the shed that I had, and I just work on it outside. So I just bring it out and just sit there and putter away on it. And he'd come out and he'd uh, he wasn't all that verbal but he'd point out a couple like it was like i was bonding with my dad as well through the bike through the bike i i bought a bike when i was 16 it was my the first thing i like it was my first taste of freedom was a motorbike then my son he phoned me one day because he was living in guelph and uh, he said i'm going on a, a bike uh like for charity like a this this ride and they have different stages of it and the one he said, I want to go on the long one, Iron Butt or something like that. It was a 400-kilometer ride. He said, can I borrow your bike? I said, sure. I was so, you know, you're scared of, th- this is a lot more bike than what he had. But I thought, yeah, you know, you you want to, you go for it. So he, he took the bike and did a 400-kilometer uh, charity ride with it. What was it like watching him drive away from the house, sitting on that bike that he's invested so much time in? I was petrified, to tell you the truth. (laughs) But, you know, you have to have faith, and you you just, uh, you know, let it go. And and he was was happy with it, rode with some experienced people, so, you know, he was in good hands. When my now wife, uh, girlfriend, uh, when she came along, I'm like, oh, what do you think about bikes? And she'd never been on one in that and so we got her a helmet and then it was the two of us and we go on trips to like st jacobs we go for a drive to and this is the perfect bike for two people i don't know if you rode I did it once a couple times yeah okay not, not a lot of, but, like yeah. with the straight seat like it you know you don't have a person higher up or anything so you, your center of gravity is down you know yeah. nice she'd just put a playlist on put the ipad and put the earplugs in put her helmet on and she was just happy i i love the sound of the bike so was for Christmas one year she actually got me a gift card for um, uh, a guy out in Woodville Charlie Carr he used to have a body shop really good painter so then when everything was good on it the last thing was we're gonna paint this and and so we went back to original colors uh, found original stickers original emblems Okay, so when you sit on this, like you're doing now, I heard the, the sigh. What's up? You're already smiling and laughing. So oh, what, what's just, the feeling like for you right now? I just love it. I, I would love to just go out and drive. I would love to just take it out and drive it. But uh, I think the time will come. So If I can find another 650 Seca and buy it, you and I will go out together. How's that? Yeah, yeah, that would be, uh, that would be nice. The sentimental part that I can't part with this because I put not just time into it, but it has a lot of really fond memories. Like they're it, it just, I don't know, it just, I put a lot into it and it, it's given me a lot. And I just can't, I can't picture it being somewhere else. It's part of the family. <laughs> it is part of the family. <laughs> so what would you tell this part of the family if you could talk to the Seika right now? Well, I'd probably say, you know, I'm doing my best to keep you safe and happy and uh, until, you know, one day maybe we'll hit the road again <laughs> and go for a drive. If not, we'll just enjoy, uh, he, he, just enjoy where he's resting. <laughs>
Jim Gowdy, thanks for sharing your special Seika story. So glad you gave that motorcycle a nice home and, and that it kind of gave you a home too. Thanks as always to Gerald Van Halteren, the musical impresario who wrote and performs our show's theme music. Ward's Lawyers, got to thank them too. They have been our official and exclusive sponsor since day one, which means you can stream or download this show for free. For all your legal needs, Ward's Lawyers has you covered. Reach out to them at wardlegal.ca. And here's something else to put on your to-do list. Check out a brand new podcast all about the Flato Academy Theatre, its history, its future, the artists who perform there and will be performing there. Now and Then is hosted by local musician Randy Reed. The first episode, which I've listened to and enjoyed, is available now on your favorite streaming platform. Our show, The Advocate Podcast, Stories from Quarth Lakes, is written, produced, and hosted by me, Denis Grignon. Better days ahead, neighbors. Patience is a virtue, right? Talk to you in a couple of weeks. So I might as well not even think of even asking you if you were ever to sell it. Would you even consider me? I, I might, not, you know I might as well just skip over that question. You know, if I were, you'd be at the top of the list. <laughs>